Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Good morning. A little informal survey here as we begin. Uh, how many of you, well, there's only two kind of people. There's people who eat different things for breakfast, and then there's some people who eat the same thing every single day. How many of you eat the same thing for breakfast virtually every single day? Any, anybody? All right, my hand is raised up with you. How many of you eat different, all kind of different things? How many of you don't eat breakfast? Okay, a few of them. <laughs> Almost every day of my life, um, I'm going to have some uh, Greek yogurt with fruit, um, little flax seeds in there, and um, cereal. I have a little cereal with with some more some more fruit in there. Oh, and the chopped walnuts. Yeah, that goes in the the yogurt stuff. But on my my cereal that I've eaten since I was a kid, uh, right now the most recent version of it. On the back of it is those like two little pictures that look alike. You know what I'm talking about? And they say, can you see the difference between these two? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. You, you, you look at those things too. You read the back of your cereal boxes too. So it's that. It's in children's activities books and everything. So I, I thought, well, maybe we would just start out this morning uh, and give you one that you might could relate to. Now, take a second or two seconds or maybe a minute. Don't say it out loud, but just look at those two pictures and tell me, think, are they alike or do you see any differences? Now, now that can be a tough one, right? But, of course, when you've got an 18-foot screen, it, it, it is maybe easier to see the differences. Reader, this is courtesy of Reader's Digest, by the way. There you go. See those circles? Those are the little areas uh, that are, uh, that, that are different. You can, um, you can kind of see, oops, um, just, just the different little small things like in this bottom donut, the two little things versus the one. Sometimes things are so much alike that it's, that it's, that it's hard to tell the differences between them. And, and the reason why I bring this point out and the reason why I show that picture to you um, is because the passage that we're going to look today at from God's word, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, is making some comparisons between the human high priests that the original readers would have been uh, accustomed to and Jesus Christ. Now, for us, it's already been mentioned earlier in the service, for us, most of us, like the idea of a priest is kind of a foreign concept, but we're teaching through the book of Hebrews here at Harvest, and when we come to this book, the original readers were coming out of the Jewish faith, and they all had priests. They had priests that represented them before God. And so, as we go through this message today, um, we're going to see what this comparison is, and I ask the question, can you compare him? Can you compare him, speaking of Jesus? Now, to set the stage for what we're going to look at today, I want to read three verses that lead right into our passage, and that is the three 
previous verses uh, of chapter 4. These are the last three verses of chapter 4 in Hebrews. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So to set the stage, to set the context, those verses lead us right into chapter 5. After encouraging the believers to hold firm in their faith and to keep on approaching God because they have this great high priest, that was the end of chapter 4, now the author of Hebrews is going to elaborate on the kind of priest that Jesus is. So chapter 4 talks about Jesus as priest. Chapter 2 had mentioned it earlier. And now he's going to really start diving in and tell us, what this high priest Jesus really is. Most of us, when we think of Jesus, high priest isn't necessarily the first word that comes to mind, right? It might be Savior or Lord, and all of those would be appropriate. But he's high priest, and today we're going to dive into that and find out what it means for our lives today. So let's read. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word today? I want us to read chapter 5, verses 1 to 10, and let's Let's walk through this passage. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. That is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now, obviously today on your outline sheet, you'll see that first block. We are comparing Jesus and the human high priest. This passage starts out and it gives us three characteristics of human high priests in the first few verses. They represent 
people before God and they offer sacrifices. Secondly, they're sympathetic. And then third, they are called by God. Let's walk through those quickly. They represent and offer sacrifices. What did a priest do? Why did the Jewish people need a priest? Well, somebody needed to represent these human sinful people before a holy, perfect God. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. It's a little bit surprising in some ways that God would have chosen another human being to represent human beings before himself. You know, he could have chosen an angel, for instance, and said, all right, here's an intermediary. Here's humans. Here I am. Let's get somebody in the middle. But he actually took other human beings who would represent him and who would offer sacrifices uh, before God. Now, there were regular priests who offered sacrifices, but there was a high priest who was supervising the activities of the other priests, and also only the high priest once a year would go into what was the most holy place of the tabernacle. It was called the Day of Atonement. Jewish people today still celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And once a year, this high priest would make some sacrifices, and he would he would go in there, he would offer uh, two goats. <laughs> One would be a sin offering for the people. And then he would lay his hand on the second goat, who was called the scapegoat. We even use that term today. He'd lay his hand, confess the sins of the people, and then send that goat off into the wilderness. He would offer those. He was representing people before God in the Old Testament system. That's the background of our passage. Second thing they did, second characteristic or requirement, you could say these are requirements, these are characteristics, he was sympathetic. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. That is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. Now, the high priest was held to a higher standard of holiness. If he committed adultery, for instance, he would be killed on the spot. Nevertheless, he was human, and he wasn't perfect. So in this offering, this series of offerings, he had to offer a sacrifice for himself and for the sins of his own family, actually, before he offered the sacrifice for the rest of the Israelites. So we would get a ram. And we'd sacrifice in that uh, holy place, in that most holy place. And he would sprinkle the blood of it on and in front of the atonement cover, the mercy seat. And this was to, this was to cleanse his own sins or to cover his sins in, in a picture of cleansing and the sins of his family. And all of this is done before he would sacrifice the goat for the rest of Israel. Leviticus chapter 16 refers to this in verse 7. No one, and it tells about how to do it. God's telling them how to do it. No one will be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron, who was the high priest, goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. The point is this. He's sympathetic. 
he understands what it's like. All of us, you know, when you, when you want to talk to somebody, when you're going through something, when you're having a tough time, whether it's a friend or a counselor or, or whoever, when you go to somebody, there's a good chance you may go to somebody who has been through what you've been through, right? If they have experienced a certain life situation, there's a, there's a comfort that happens when you go to them. It's like, oh yeah, they, they understand. They're, they're sympathetic. And this, I think, is why God, rather than having an angel be the mediator, it's like, I'm going to have a human high priest. If you're coming, if you're an Israelite, you're coming and you're offering those sacrifices, you don't want the priest to be standing there, come on, let's hurry up and get this over with. Right? You want somebody who is sympathetic, who understands. And that was characteristics of the priest. And so the third characteristic is that they were called by God. Verse 4, no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when he was called by God, just as Aaron was. People didn't volunteer to become high priests. God called them. So these are the three characteristics of human high priests. They represented people before God. They made these sacrifices. They were sympathetic, and they were called by God. Now, remember those three as we start looking at Jesus as our high priest. That's where it begins in verse 5. And we start answering the question, what kind of priest is Jesus? What kind of priest is Jesus? And I have church, I have good news for you today. We have an amazing high priest in Jesus. This isn't just like religion. This isn't just like words that we're talking about. This isn't like doctrine or tradition. This is life-changing. When we understand the kind of high priest that Jesus is. Let's see what the Bible tells us about that. First of all, he is selected by God. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your your father. If you have your outline sheet in front of you, you will see this number three off to the right, meaning that it corresponds with the third characteristic that we just said of the human high priest. I'll back it up on the slides there. Human high priest, the third characteristic was that they were called by God. And now we find out Jesus also was selected by God the Father for this specific role as high priest. And it reads literally in the original language, Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest. It's the only place in Hebrews that this verb to glorify appears. Now, the noun that's related to it uh, does appear a few times, like in chapter 1, verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. In 2, 7, and 9, Jesus is crowned with glory. In 3, 3, he has greater glory than Moses. And in 13, 21, in the benediction, he is the one to whom uh, should be ascribed glory forever and ever. In all these instances... Jesus does not grab the glory for himself. 
It is bestowed on him by others. And in this case, it's God saying, God the Father saying, I am selecting him. I am selecting you. Like Hebrews 1.5, this verse quotes Psalm 2.7. That's when God was speaking to the Messiah. You are my son. Today I've become your father. So this is mystery, right? Jesus is God the son. He's completely equal with God the father. There's God the father, God the son, God the Holy Spirit. In eternity they lived forever equal. And yet in those years of his earthly life, God the father speaks to him and appoints him as a high priest. He says, you are going to have a role. And he quotes Psalm 2. He also quotes Psalm 110, which has been tied up with his sonship as well. He says in another place, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The same person who spoke the words Psalm 2-7 to Jesus also speaks the words of Psalm 110, verse 4 to Jesus. You're a priest. So in chapters 1 and 2 of Hebrews, Jesus is exalted as the Son of God. And now he's being exalted as high priest. Sonship and priesthood are linked together in the doctrine of Jesus, in, a, in, in the who Christ is. It, he's Son and he is priest. Now, you might say, as we're going to go through this passage, that it was, and the Bible doesn't use these terms, this is my description, it was easy for Jesus to be the Son of God. There wasn't really anything necessarily hard about that. But, we're going to find out, to become the high priest of God, that was not an easy task. Because it involves something different than he experienced when he was son in heaven forever and ever. Verse 7 and 8 is where this happens. And honestly, these, these are some of the most uh, poignant verses in the entire Bible. Look at verses 7 and 8. It gives us the second description of the kind of high priest that Jesus is, he is a suffering and sympathetic high priest. Here are the words. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And it was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. So in other words, to become a high priest, it required that you would be sympathetic. And for Jesus, part of this, an, an integral part of being sympathetic, of being able to relate to us in our weaknesses was for he himself to suffer. He never suffered his son in eternity. 
He received, he was God. He was existing in a manner equal with God. But now, he's coming as a high priest. Yes, he's son of God. But in his role as a high priest, he had to live and walk a path of obedience and suffering. It's just hard for me to picture Jesus doing this. He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. I think this almost certainly is referring to Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was about to die, he's about to be betrayed, he was going to go to the cross and pay that terrible price on the cross. Remember, You remember that story? He's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes some of his disciples with him. And he says, hey, I want you to watch here and pray. And he goes off. And he's just in agony. And he's crying. And he's praying. And Jesus himself, though he was God, though he was eternal, though he knew why he came, he prays, oh, Father, will you take this away from me? Take this cup away from me. But, nevertheless, not what? Not my will, but yours be done. And he goes back, and they're asleep, and he's, you know, can't you pray with me? And he goes back again, and he prays again, and it happens again. Then he goes back a third time, and he's, there's this pattern. He's praying. He's crying out to God the Father. Why was he crying that way? Why was he so emotional about it? Was he, was he afraid of the pain? I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure he, as a human being, he didn't look forward to the pain. But here was the Son of God who was eternally perfect. There was no sin in him. He had always lived in perfect, intimate, complete fellowship with his Father. And yet he was coming to become the sin offering. He was coming to pay for our sin on the cross. And this is the good news of the gospel. You and I, all of us, are separated from God because of our sin. Because God is holy and we are not. (laughs) And there's no way for us to get from here to here on our own. You can't be baptized enough time to get you to heaven. You can't give enough money to the poor to get you to heaven. You can't... Say enough prayers, give enough money, do enough good deeds, join enough churches, go through enough rites and rituals in any religion to get yourself to heaven because God is perfect and he will not accept anything except perfection. Right? So his own perfect son says, you know what? I am going to pay the price. I'm going to take their sin on me. And that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God has made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, (laughs) to become sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I think Jesus is coming to understand the agony of sin, how terrible it is, how horrible it is to be separated from God the Father. 
And you know, we see it now. People who are separated from God in their life, they're empty and they're searching and they're always looking for something. And there's, it doesn't matter how many good things happen in their life, there's still this chasm between them and God. And that's bad right now, but it's really going to be bad after they pass away if they stay in that state. And they're separated from Him for eternity. And Jesus was seeing this and understanding this. And He, and He made these cries, the, the reality of bearing the sin of the world was, was crushing him. And yet it says, because of his reverent submission, he was heard. Because of his reverent submission. And you, you might ask, well, how did God hear him? I mean, after all, he, he still went to the cross, right? This might cast a little different light on the phrase, God hears our prayers. God does hear our prayers and God does answer our prayers, but he doesn't, he doesn't always answer them in the way or the time that we would necessarily desire. But remember, Jesus' prayer was heard. Because what was his ultimate final prayer after expressing his agony, after expressing this, uh, this l- desire not to carry this heavy load of sin, he said, Father, I only want your will. And God answered that prayer because God's perfect will was accomplished. And notice verse 8, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He had the position of son But he had to suffer as a human to learn to obey God, even when it was unpleasant. Now, this in no way implies that he was ever disobedient. Remember Hebrews 4.15, we read a few minutes ago that he was tempted in every way like we are, but without sin. But rather, God had called him to walk down a path of obedience that included suffering And he did it. So it wasn't that he was not obedient, but that it had to, his obedience had to be borne out. It had to be matured. It had to be perfected. It had to reach its goal. It had to reach the path for which God brought him there. And it's, it's confirmed by the original language as well. In verse eight, we don't see it in English. But before the word obedience, the original language is the definite article. It reads literally, From what he suffered, he learned the obedience. He learned the obedience. Um, What obedience is he talking about? He's talking about the obedience of the cross. For him, it it was one thing to say, yes, I'm going to come and be the son of God. Yes, I'm going to be the high priest. Yes, I'm going to be the savior. I am going all the way to do what is necessary. But then... He had to walk it out. He had to live it out, and he did. And because of his suffering, Jesus is uniquely qualified to be sympathetic to you and me in all of our suffering and all of our weakness. We don't have a high priest who can't understand. We have a high priest who has suffered, and in fact, suffered greater than any of us will ever suffer. And so when we're suffering, whether it's any kind of trial or it's, it's our own human weakness, temptation, 
difficulty. We're at the bottom. The good news is Jesus understands. Jesus understands. He understands our weakness. He was suffering. He was sympathetic. And as the passage climaxes, verses 9 and 10 give us the third uh, result uh, or the third characteristic of his priesthood. And it's, it's actually the result of Jesus reaching this perfection. And that is he was greater than human priest. He was the source of eternal salvation. Verse 9, and once made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be the high, to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The eternally perfect son of God enrolled as it were in the school of suffering while he lived on earth. He completed all the requirements and he graduated with honors. That's the perfection that's envisioned here. One commentator, P.E. Hughes, puts it this way. His sufferings both tested and victoriously endured attested his perfection, free from failure and defeat. In other words, Jesus made it to the end of God's prescribed path for him. His being made perfect involved not any kind of imperfection in him, but the fact that the task had not been completed yet. And so he lived that life. He walked all the way to the cross. And that qualified him to be the role of high priest. It says he became the source of eternal salvation. This allowed Jesus to be the place that you and I can go to be saved. Now, who, who is saved according to this verse? All who obey him. The consistent witness of the Bible, all through the Bible, is that salvation comes through faith. It doesn't come through works. So why does the writer say salvation for all who obey him? It, it's a summary statement. Obedience is the habitual action of those people whom God saves. So in other words, it's not implying that you need to obey God in order to try to become saved or to become a Christian. It's not implying that a person who is saved by faith will obey God every single time. It means that the pattern of life of a Christian is obedience. And that's why he can say these are the ones who are being saved. As believers, we're called to follow the pattern of yielding to God's will and following his desires rather than than our desires. So Jesus' obedience was intimately tied with God's designating him in this new office of priest, verse 10, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We're not going to elaborate on that today. There's uh, many verses on that coming later, and we'll dive into what that means. But the elaboration is coming. So I want you to look at this summary of how this passage is put together. we got an old office of high priest. we got the human high priest that these people would have been familiar with. And now he's saying there's a new high priest, and that's Jesus. 
and watch what he says about it and notice how they are. The old office, the old high priest, they represented God. They offered sacrifices. They were sympathetic and they were called by God. Watch the same three things. Jesus was called by God. Jesus was not just sympathetic. They were, they were sympathetic because they were weak too, but he was sympathetic because he lived as a human and he suffered. And then the last one, what are you expecting there for A? He represents, yes, people, but he doesn't just offer sacrifices. He brings salvation, something they couldn't do. All they could do was offer sacrifice, and they had to offer them day after day after day and year after year after year until the final sacrifice would come. And Jesus brought salvation. Now, this passage doesn't really talk about the sacrifice, but again, that's, that's coming. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews will do that. This writer will say things, and then a chapter or two later, then just really explode it. And that's what's going to happen here. So, Christianity is not just another way for people to, quote, live their best life. It's a way for God to live his life in you. And here's, if you think about this, there's such a parallel. There's so much similarities here. But yet that A and that A prime, uh, that's a huge difference. <laughs> that's a huge difference to not just be offering sacrifices for someone, but to actually become the source of salvation. So let's put it this way. Here's God's word for us this morning. Jesus and human high priest, a lot alike. Very different. A lot alike, very different. Yes, Jesus could sympathize. Yes, he was called by God, but he was different because he is the source of salvation. And he still is the source of salvation today. And that's good news for us because all of us need salvation because without it, we are destined to be separated from God forever in hell. So how should we respond today? Let me give you three, three responses. First of all, appreciate and accept his gift. Appreciate and accept his gift. This free gift of salvation was costly. It's free for us, but costly for him. Just open your heart to him. Many of you will know in the Catholic tradition, priests will often administer what's known as last rites as someone is near passing. William Willimon was not Catholic. He's a retired author um, uh, and, and bishop in the Methodist church. But Willimon was visiting a hospital one day. And as he was visiting, there was a lady there who was just about to pass away. And they, 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 they called him into the room. 
Listen, I want you to hear his words as he describes this scene. She was in the last stages of lung cancer, gasping day after day for breath. She was in great pain, wasted away, exhausted by fighting. She clutched a crucifix daily. It was given to her by her grandmother when she was a girl, carved by some monk in Europe. It was a symbol of all her Catholic faith meant to her. And he says, when I entered the room that day, I could see she was very near the end. Would you like me to pray for you? I asked. Would you like me to summon a priest for you? With her last ounce of energy, she held out the crucifix to me, which depicted the body of Christ nailed to the cross. And she said, thank you, but I have a priest. (laughs) That woman understood who the real high priest was. Do you? Can you say that today? That it's not about religion, it's not about tradition or ritual, it's relationship with the high priest. Appreciate him, accept his gift. Second, keep coming to him in times of need. Are you in trouble? Call on the high priest. Are you tempted to sin? Call on the high priest. Did you sin? Call on the high priest. Keep coming to him. That's what he, that's what this passage is about. Continuing to come. Let us approach this high priest with confidence. He can sympathize. He knows what it's like. He knows what your weaknesses are. And he is so, Jesus is so far above us that we can hardly imagine it. But it's so awesome that he also, at the same time, he's walked this human life. And he can sympathize with us. And then finally, follow his model of total relinquishment to the Father's will. We, we see that here. He, he just abandoned all for God the Father. He, he abandoned everything for God the Father. In his little short essay, God in the Dock, C.S. Lewis wrote this. The ancient man approached God, or even the gods, as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern man, the rules are reversed. He is the judge. (laughs) Speaking of humans, the human man. God is in the dock. God is a quite kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease, he is ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that man is on the bench and God is in the dock. That's not the biblical view. Not That's not the view of, of Hebrews. God is 
the judge, and we are accountable to him. But thank God he chose to send his son Jesus to be our savior and to be our high priest. And we too can follow that same exact model of relinquishment to him. I close with this. There was a man named John Casey who, when he was a child, um, had a terrible accident and had to go into some kind of emergency surgery and they were going to, they were going to, uh, remove several teeth and there was a nurse standing there and he, he was just a young and he was scared and the nurse said to him, don't worry, whatever happens, I'm going to be here with you the whole time. I'm never going to, they're about to administer the anesthesia to him. I'm going to be with you here the whole time. And that made a big impression on him. He goes through his life and in his life he grew up and he became an EMT. He worked in an ambulance. One day he's out and he gets a call and a truck has turned over, like a 18-wheeler or something has turned over. And the driver is stuck in the cab and they're going in to rescue this guy. And they cannot, based on where it is, they cannot pull him out. They have to, they have to use tools power tools to cut open uh, the spot to get in there with him. And there's gasoline dripping there. And that man is just standing there and he's just kind of screaming. This truck driver is like, I'm scared to die. I don't want to die. And so while they're getting the tools, this man, this EMT, crawls up over on the side and crawls in the cab with him. And says, whatever happens, I'm going to be with you. Now, fortunately, it has a positive ending. The man was saved. The man was rescued. And he said to him afterwards, he said, you were crazy. We could have both died instantly. And he said, I never forgot the sympathy, the compassion of that nurse for me. When we see stuff like that, it amazes us. And we're thankful for people like that. But they're... Even that cannot compare to a Savior who, can, who chose to suffer and chose to become sympathetic. Jesus and the human priest, yeah, they're a lot alike, but they're very different. Will you bow your heads with me, please? Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.